Indigenous Earth Community Podcast, where we celebrate indigenous heroes from around the world and learn from them on how to honor the traditions of protecting the planet. We discuss actionable tips on how to connect to our beautiful planet while lessening our daily impact. I'm your host, Frank Oscar Weaver. Today, we're going to talk to Arjo from the Bland Indigenous Community of the Philippines. She's a champion for climate change, community involvement, and international activist in the Indigenous people, right? If you're passionate about Indigenous people and want to create change for a more sustainable future, you are going to love our conversation. Hey, how are you? Hi, Frank. I'm good. Um, good afternoon from Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's been two years since I met you when we did the training for climate reality. Can you believe that? I, I I just realized it when you told me that it's been exactly like two years when we were done for the like uh, three days that we were here in Atlanta. And I'm so happy to have met you and the rest of the group members and uh, all of the people that we came along in some of those sessions and, and get to know. That was really like, um, life-changing event and getting to know people who cared more than ourselves but also for our environment and uh, the world that we live in so I'm thankful because of that event I came to know you and get to know your passion and um, appreciate life more that that we live each day yeah, for sure. And I'm, I'm glad to uh, connect with you. Um, you're like a superstar on the uh, on the event. Everybody wanted to uh, talk to you and take pictures with you. It was really cool. And uh, let me show you something here. This is uh, a pillow that my friend Monica made with the uh, oh! <laughs> with all of us. <laughs> I don't have that. It's cool, right? And you that can see so here nice. is uh, Al Gore right here with the uh, the blue suit. And then I'm like all the way here. I don't know if you can see it. <laughs> yes. Yes, I remember that day. Awesome. Yeah. And then awesome. this is from the uh, the mass when we went to see uh, the church of Martin Luther King. Church, remember? Well, that's a historic church. And right now, uh, the past senior pastor of that church that we went is now one of our U.S. senators. Yep. And he is supportive of the cause of the environment too. Reverend Warnock. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing uh, person and it's such a cool event. But before we start in that, can you tell us a little bit more about who you are, where you're from and where you're going? Well, uh, my name is Josephine Carino uh, Turner, but I go with Arjo. Arjo is my nickname. I'm originally from the Philippines and uh, I'm here in Atlanta now for almost like uh, 15 years, to be exact, this uh, May 2021. I am um, a mom, a wife. I have two young kids. And uh, technically, I've been a full-time mom now for um, 10 years. But being a full-time mom also gave me the opportunity to do other things that I love and continue, especially the advocacies that I have started since way back I was working in the government in the Philippines before immigrating here. 
And uh, as you can see, I've been so much active with social media, especially on Facebook, because I really use that platform to share and uplift the indigenous people. So speaking of the indigenous peoples, I am from the Blaan Indigenous Peoples Group of the Philippines. There are over 110 uh, various indigenous peoples groups of the Philippines spread in all over over 7,000 islands. Uh, so it's a very diverse country. I came from a very diverse family as well. That's why I really value um, diversity and inclusion. And I also value so much um, the civic engagement that each of us can do something in our small or big ways to impact a better change. And that's just that's just the foundation of why I'm engaged with uh, so many other things. But I'm focused on cultural development for the advocacy and also environment, because we could not take away the the focus of uh, sustainability, especially when we don't consider. The, the things that are at risk in the future if we are not going to do something now. And I use the power of educating ourselves and educating other people so that they could also take actions for themselves and the decisions that they're gonna do in the future. So um, and I, as, as a full-time mom, I also am a student. I'm currently a student of Hartford Kennedy School for Public Leadership Program. And I'm going to finish the capstone course this June. And hopefully I'm going to either go for the MPA route or for the Master in Liberal Arts um, focus on government uh, that will be made available for the uh, PLC uh, program um, credential holders. So that's a pathway that um, Harvard is doing right now. The PLC or the public leadership credential is 100% online. So that works out very much great for me um, because that's also like, of interest. But in the Philippines, I work uh, with the government for almost six years under the office of the governor, and I manage what they call the Indigenous Peoples Development Program. I conceptualized uh, with uh, that program in, um, in participation as well with important stakeholders, the Indigenous Peoples Leaders, the Sarangani Indigenous Peoples Professionals Association, via an executive order of a very young governor then, just what 27 years old, the youngest governor we've had. And uh, I value, you know, young leadership and support young leadership who makes a, a better difference for what they wanted to achieve. So I've worked with the government, but in the Philippines and here now in Atlanta because of the civic engagement that I am um, also trying to um, practice. I'm uh, part of the cabinet advisory board for our Cub County District Commissioner too. Commissioner Jerrica Richardson, and I'm part of her cabinet uh, specific on sustainability. So that is all in line with our uh, experience as climate reality leadership uh, core uh, trainees with then uh, Vice President Al Gore in 2019 that each of us has this passion that we wanted to do. And slowly we could find allies, partners, that would uh, support the same cause, the same voice, then we just have to collaborate and do something, you know, in, in, in ways we can. And that's that's basically what I'm busy of, aside from my online mentoring as well as a small business owner based here in Atlanta. Yeah, as you, as you mentioned before, you wear many hats and uh, I see that in all of them you very exceed and, you know, an inspiration for so many people uh, in giving back to your community. Uh, before I was talking to you, I was looking at some videos from the blonde people in the Philippines and that region is just so beautiful. 
Uh, I wish I could just go to uh, to visit. And you mentioned that you are visit, uh, living in Atlanta for 15 years now. Uh, but if you can speak any spot in the world to call home, where would you say the home is for you? Home is really Philippines. Uh, technically, yeah, that is really like home for me. Um, here in Atlanta is my new home because... As I, as I said, like, I love diversity and inclusion. So when I was still in the Philippines, I really desired, you know, what would it be like for my next generation if I would marry another race, I, another, another, like, another nationality? And that brought me here in Atlanta. But I met my husband when he was on a mission trip in the Philippines way back in 2002. And I said, like, if there is one place that I would wanted to live outside of the Philippines, it will be Atlanta. That was in 1996 when I first saw the Centennial Olympics being held here in Atlanta. And I was in my college dorm. I can still remember we were we were able to see the opening of the Centennial Olympics. That was huge. And I was in my first year college. And I said, wow, what will be life to live in Atlanta? If there's anything in the world where I would want it to live, it will be like Atlanta, aside from the Philippines. And you know, I am here. <laughs> it's so funny. I, I am here. And I why I love Atlanta... I think because of the civil rights movement, I am so much um, inspired by the life of the civil rights leaders uh, from Dr. Martin Luther King, um, you know, John Lewis, and so many, many others that have uh, really like sacrificed their time, their resources, their life uh, to, to fight for equality. And coming from the perspective of being half indigenous people, because my mother is the one that is really blonde, my father is the is uh, Ilocano, right? He is like from a dominant uh, people group in the Philippines. Um, I, I I can empathize somehow the cause for uh, the the right for equality, because indigenous peoples in the Philippines we. We experience still the discrimination, but not like the discrimination that I'm seeing here in the USA for people of color. Yeah. Wow, that's 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 very heavy when the people here in what is considered a free country has more discrimination what in other countries that people here think that is not the way, right? A lot of people think that United States, hey, land of the free. Uh, there's no discrimination, but it's equal here. But, you know, you're coming from a place where indigenous people were uh, discriminated against. And you can say that, hey, United States, like we have a lot of work still have to do. Yes, exactly. Because these are the, like coming from as an immigrant coming to the USA. These are the, these are the things that we don't see. All you can see are like all of the good things, all of the good life, all of this nice stuff all over the world. But you don't really see uh, the people struggling on the streets. So before becoming full-time mom, I work as um, I work in a nonprofit organization in downtown Atlanta for two years. It was called CareNet Pregnancy Resource Center. And I, I, uh, I was an operations manager for that straight center. We do counseling for men and women who are in crisis pregnancy situation. Now, as a person, personally, I am a pro-life. Like I choose life for no matter what, if that will be mine. But I learned that I could not decide or choose for other people, that I have to respect 
for what the people's choice is for their life because I'm not in their shoes. So this work experience made me realize really of the issue of um, abortion, which is very personal and not political. You know, it is very divisive one, but it made me understand uh, the USA that I don't see when I was in the Philippines. It made me understand the homelessness. It made me understand people who are hungry. But it also made me appreciate this country who has lots of services for people to access, actually. Available resources out there for people to access for those in need. But sometimes, most so many people that don't know that these are available resources. The pregnant, the pregnancy risk center that I was with, it's a free. You can go there, have your ultrasound done. You will not be discriminated for whoever, whatever you are. But what we do is that we really just share the value of life and we do counseling. But it, at the end of the day, it is just our prayer that the person that we have counseled will choose life. And we could not like tell the person otherwise for whatever personal decision that they're going to make for themselves. But we're going to provide services, free ultrasound, and um, uh, basic necessities um, for those who are going to choose a life for their unborn child. And it made me appreciate the you know, kindness, the, the the kindness of the American people is also enormous. But there are also some who are very discriminatory, no matter what. And as, as I said, you know, that is a human behavior that is not unique only to one country, because each country, each people group have, have our own flaws. And we'll just have to, you know, realize that that's the kind of world that we live in and continue on our individual uh, pursuit for happiness, at the same time treating others for equality and justice and respect, you know, mutual respect, even, even if to the point that you really don't agree with another person, but you can still respect the other person. Because no one is perfect. This world is not even perfect. Um, so we just have to really live, live, live with with what we have. Live with the people that we are uh, we are having fundamental differences with, and uh, especially like in the issue of climate change. So many people don't don't think that climate change is real, because especially some of hyper religious people, they thought that it's all divine divine. Uh, intervention for things to happen. Like I am a Christian, but I also believe in science. I value science as much as I value my faith. I am that kind of uh, what you call this pragmatic um, approach to life that I go. I don't go to the extremes of of, of all of this. But what will what what will I do for people that are in my family or in my circle or my friends who doesn't believe about climate change? All I can say is that I could share and continue to advocate to raise awareness that things that's happening in this country is interrelated because we are in the same world, unless maybe you live in another planet, but things that's going on right now. And uh, unless we really see that, that the actions that we are doing now are going to make significant impact for the future of our kids and their next generations, and resources are not infinite, especially the resources that are not renewable. 
There are resources that are renewable, but there are resources that are not renewable and that cannot, that humans could not even make them, you know, because it takes years or million of years for them to be, to be, to be done, to be in that kind of state for them to be useful to humanity. And something, you know, that is understanding science. But people, if they, if you don't appreciate science, most of the time you also don't appreciate logic about why things are going on in our world, in our environment, in our community. And no amount of physical, man-made development could, you know, could uh, can straighten it because nature is nature and it has its own way of um, doing things. And we, we are powerless when nature is roaring. You know, all we can do is to save our lives that we will not be in the harm's way. Yeah, that's just it. Yeah, with the the hurricanes, you know, becoming uh, stronger uh, by the uh, effects of climate um, change. But uh, what inspired you to attend the the training for climate reality? Like, what what got you to you know uh, go in and and participate? Well, I, honestly, I did not know that it even existed. I, I came to learn about it because of my friend, uh, Jennifer Siboglas, Pia uh, Jennifer Limpayin, as she is more known. She is now a National Commission for Indigenous Peoples uh, Commissioner, one of the commissioners in Central Mindanao. So in 2019, she told me, sis, I'm going to Atlanta, I'm going to attend this training. And then she sent me the link for the climate reality. And she said, um, she said, oh, that is, that's great. I wanted to host you and I wanted to be your driver because, you know, the Georgia World Congress Center is just near us around less than 30 minutes drive from us. But when I went to the link and the, the application is still on, I applied for myself and I got accepted. So I did not know about climate reality project until 2019 because of my friend. So we, we we invited her to come over, and then at, the, at that time, we have a partnership. My organization here in Atlanta have a partnership with Fernbank Museum, wherein we do uh, cultural exhibitions. So I was able to invite her on top of the climate reality event that I will be hosting. My family is going to host her and her husband because we have this collaboration. So she's going to attend two events actually in Atlanta as a princess from her indigenous people's group and loaning her cultural materials used during their traditional wedding at the Ferndamp Museum and then attend the Climate Reality Leadership Training Corps. So it was only in 2019, around uh, January, going to February, that I came to learn about this training. And I got accepted and I was so happy. And uh, it, it it, it just made me super blessed, feeling super blessed. And I get to know different parts of people. Uh, I I thought that that was really like um, a divine providence because if I could have known it later, maybe I will be traveling in another state or in another country just to attend it. But it was here in Atlanta. So what a blessing that could have been, you know? And then right now with the pandemic, they're offering it virtual. But there is really that great experience when we go physical you know our our events our interaction nothing replaces that 
the physical interaction that we're able to do to go to the sessions that you like and interact with people and meet with people and really talk to them and these presentations and the, the panels up on the stage. I think that that can never be replaced by the virtual mode. It's not that you are, you know, degrading the quality of the material that you're going to learn is there. But I think the experience is still very much different. So I am so much blessed that I got to know climate reality. And then I get to know some, some people from my county. So the climate reality training has been a, an opening door for me to meet people, advo advo advocates, climate reality advocates from my Cub County. And then I get engaged in our city level. For this, for the same people that I got in, that I got to know, because of the climate reality training. So it's like one thing leading to another, and these are really great experiences of building um, friendship and uh, collaboration and partnership and being engaged in our city, primarily because of the climate reality experience. Yeah, it was it was awesome, and, and I agree with you. In just being in person and seeing people and talking is. Is something that, you know, we cannot reach with these online, you know, videos as much as we want to. But I'd highly recommend if you want to take the uh, the classes, uh, the training, it's going to be happening soon. You can apply. If you have any questions, you can reach out to us. We'll be happy to, to help you because you learn a lot. You learn a lot about uh, the science, but you also learn about how, you know, to tell your story and how you're being affected by the climate change and seeing, you know, um, uh, Al Gore speak. I mean, that's that's that was amazing. And going to that church, you know, I, I know we kind of mentioned a little bit earlier. For me, it was very powerful, you know, to to know the history of of everything that went there and uh, hear uh, the the faith leaders. I remember it was so many different faith leaders that spoke that day. And uh, one thing that kind of I always remember for the rest of my life was when Al Gore was talking about. You know, when you have in the Christian faith, the uh, story of Noah taking care of the animals uh, on the um, on the flood, that mm -hmm. God, you know, told him to take care of the animals and he was able to do it. But now that our animals are going extinct, you know, it's up to us to take care of those animals, you know. Uh, and that was something that really struck a chord uh, with me. And, uh, yeah. and I, I do remember now you mentioned about the uh, museum. Uh, that you had the dress from uh, your friend right from the wedding, the uh, regalia. Uh, that yes. was everybody was talking about. That was really uh, cool that you were able to <laughs> get to uh, to make that happen. And I mean, you you've been all over like the community, different things. And I, I saw that you got an uh, an award for Indigenous Peoples Icon. Uh, what was that award about? Uh, that was uh, uh, that was given by the Department of Education. Uh, it's like if you are uh, if you are in a district here in the USA, it was given like the school superintendent in honor of uh, um, and and in honor and also in recognition of the contributions that I am imparting back to the province where I serve. It's primarily also because of the Galing Foundation that I am part here in Atlanta, wherein. Since 2007, I've been part of the board and I serve as the Mindanao Outreach Director, primarily the program director for our library development and resource assistance program, wherein we are helping uh, schools to establish school libraries. So 
Uh, we collect books slightly or new brand, brand, brand new books here in the USA, specifically in the Metro Atlanta region. And we donate them to the, to, to the partner schools. We're doing five years program engagement with them. And then after five years, we evaluate if they have enough resources, if they're able to have their all full functional library from zero resources or to less than 1% educational resources to the school to 100% fully functional library that is we do with this email system in place and with a librarian in charge. So that's the kind of thing. Then I was able to also facilitate um, Delta Airlines, a project collaboration with some of the schools in 2013, wherein Delta Airlines have donated over 10,000 uh, amenity kits that benefits first graders and second graders. And uh, over the years of uh, just impacting the education, uh, that's why I said, like, I value education so much. I value achievements because these are the driving force for people to to do something, to do something better, to do something uh, different for their community, to 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 benefit the greater public good. Um, so that was uh, an award that they give in honor of the contributions I've done to impact um, increasing literacy specifically. And because Philippines English is kind of like, or we we talk Filipino or the Tagalog, but uh, English is a major part of our language. Most Filipinos, you can talk to Filipinos um, in English, basic conversations we can carry along conversations. That's why so many Filipinos are so, so all over the world, because our human resource is our biggest like um, export to the world. The nurses, the IT people, the the uh, so many the education, the teachers. We have so many teachers, um, domestic helpers from in, in, from different parts of the world. So if this and then all of these people, we ha you have to at least like you know be conversant in English. We have the accent, the Asian accent, yes, but at least like you could really understand us uh, talking in English. So my organization here is trying to help. Uh, the functional literacy and especially the reading in English, because we know that we wanted to support the, the the human resource of the country by building it from the bottom, and that is from the foundation of the schooling. So that was uh, an icon award, um, and also because of the cultural advocacy that I'm trying to um, engage for the Department of Education and really advocating the indigenous peoples and the use of the mother tongue. For uh, for the younger generations, it's like having bilingual classes here in the USA. Like my kids are having bilingual classes. Morning, they're taking some Spanish or in the afternoon English kind of part. In the Philippines, because we are so diverse, that right now the Department of Education there is trying to use um, the mother tongue of that particular community so that it can aid more students to also learn faster and not a totally strange language. Um, I could I could talk different languages in the Philippines, but my my, my uh, handicap is writing because we, we can talk, but we're not taught really how to really like write literary. I could write better in English than express my, my thoughts in writing in Filipino. So that's also like, you know, there's a pros and cons as well because uh, yes, I can talk Filipino, but I cannot, write as well in Filipino the way I can write and express myself in English.
because of my exposure is already English. Yeah, well, let me ask you something because um, a lot of people that listen to this podcast, a lot of uh, indigenous youth, they they always ask me, you know, how how can I start helping the community? You know, how can I do things? You know, like and and they're they're they don't know because um, it's it's sometimes they don't have uh, a person that is doing that kind of work in their community. Uh, what would you say? You know, like for people, you know, uh, back home that are young and they want to do uh, things for the, the environment to leave the world a better place? Like what, what words of advice would you give them? First, like uh, partner with a reliable and reputable organization that you know who does grassroots work in a particular community. Because each indigenous people's group, if your focus is on indigenous people's group in a, in a country, uh, there are diverse groups. So it's better if you have a local partner or organization that works directly with that indigenous people's group. Now, if you're interested to get to know my organization, then um, I could give you the information I have uh, for the foundation that I'm with because we've been doing this since 2007, especially in Mindanao. Then um, if, if after this COVID-19 pandemic, and if if your desire is to really get hands-on experience to the ground, we can also coordinate that so that you can be there safely or join our future mission script uh, going to the Philippines and have that uh, experience together. And uh, we'll have to make sure that safety and community engagement will be in place before the team will be going on. So stakeholder engagement is very key. And uh, knowing the right people that you're going to talk to in that particular community and your interest and being very upfront and so that you will not uh, mislead expectations, you know, because people think that if you are a foreigner, you go there, you know, it's, they have, some people would have a different um, perspective or mindset, but if you are really there specific for a reason, for mission, for an outreach or for a, community project, if you want them to do a workshop specifically for uh, for whatever, it, it, it can be your Boy Scout project, it can be whatever credit for your organization or exposure, um, then we have to coordinate that properly with uh, concerned government agencies to be sure that you will be protected when you are in the community, just really for security reasons, because you are not from the community. Although, in the Philippines, there's so many um, foreigners living there now that are married to uh, Filipinos and they live there. So it's very common to see. But still for first timers, if you are not really familiar in the community, it's always good to um, partner with locals and also international organizations that have direct art outreach in that particular community. And it's going to be a very good you know, experience. Uh, one thing that I could mention is like uh, ministry-wise, um, the Latter-day Saints here in the USA, they were very effective. The LDS is very effective. You know why? Before they send their missionaries going to these different countries, they, their missionaries have to be very fluent in the local language, not the national language local language in the community where they will be assigned. They can talk fluently with the community members there, community members like that was actually very effective and efficient. The only difference is that they don't look like Filipinos. 
you know, they, they look like they're Americans, African-Americans, or they're from another country, but they speak the local language. Um, if you have the desire to speak uh, Filipino, there are so many resources available online. My husband, before he went to the Philippines, he learned some Filipino words because he was on a mission trip. So he would want to at least like relate some of the basic words. And the best way for him to learn was basic words of Filipino that are related to the foods that he like. So that's how he got interested more is that the food, because uh, he likes diverse foods. He's been exposed to Asian food. So his interest about the Filipino culture is primarily about the food. Yeah. So, the you food, know, the getting food to is know me is kind of like you. more secondary. <laughs> yeah, the, the food always gets you. Filipino food is uh, amazing. It, because it can start a conversation. It, it, it always is a very good uh, a start of a conversation. And as I said, Filipinos, even if they have not gotten into high school or into school, they could still relate and respond in basic English because their kids, they, their kids have been going to school and stuff. So English is like a natural way for us to communicate to people. Yeah. And, and in your opinion, why do you think that it's important to have more indigenous people on the conservation uh, movement? Well, it is very important because we are living in our last frontiers of uh, environment, the environment that still has the integrity, environmental integrity in it. Indigenous peoples lives in ancestral domains mostly. In the Philippines, there are so many problems right now for uh, the encroachments of uh, developers the migrant settlers into the indigenous people's domains. And it's really getting more complex and complex because of land grabbing and uh, titling of lands that, that the indigenous peoples did not know. So we need to have more advocates that are not only with passion, but also technical. What I mean is when you say technical is that you're able to really like deal with this problem in a way that you talk scientifically and in a way that you talk logically for people to listen to you. Because so many people don't listen to indigenous peoples because they think that indigenous peoples are uneducated, quote unquote, illiterate, quote unquote. Because they thought that our elders don't, don't cannot say anything because they, they, they have not gone to school. So the rising up of the younger generations that are uh, advocates for on behalf of our indigenous traditional um, elders is, is a trend right now that's going on in the Philippines. And then getting engaged not only in the community level, but also in politics. So many indigenous peoples now are also being represented in the governance structure compared to before. So just like here in the USA, the, you know, the, uh, the, the appointment of uh, uh, Representative Halan for the Secretary of the Interior is, is uh, something to celebrate because she is from the Native American uh, group. Uh, and then uh, for so long that this country, the, if you are not a Native American, you are actually an immigrant or a descendant of an immigrant. So the Native Americans are really the ones that would say they are they are here before anyone before anyone else. And then the concept of you know your 
your land is being discovered, how can you discover something when people are already thriving with rich culture there? So this kind of perspective on an external perspective going down to, to the community level. I'm leaving both worlds because I'm a product of two worlds. I'm a product of the traditional cultural community on my mother's side. Half of me is also the migrant settlers uh, side of the father. But how our younger generations, I, I grew up more on my mother's community and in that environment of uh, uh, of where your your sustainability is all dependent in the in the environment where you live in, right now sustainability is not all that. You know, you could not just sustain everything from your own community because your your land resource is not growing, and then your diversity the diversity of your land before is not the same as the diversity that is now because. Uh, big companies are getting into your community and they're having this monocropping. They're having this multinational communication, multinational co corporation that plants only one crop instead of diverse crops. And I'm an advocate as well of upland rice resource management because so, I was growing up, there were over hundreds of varieties of traditional upland rice that the indigenous peoples are growing. But with the trend of going into pineapple plantation, going into the high value crops plantation, there, these um, genetic materials from our community are lost. So that is loss of diversity, loss of sustainability, loss of biodiversity. So much loss have happened uh, in the community because we want to achieve development, quote-unquote. So this concept of uh, there's the lack of balance for this development at the expense of what? At the expense of the culture? At the expense of the environment? At the expense of the future generation to sustain what they can sustain that is being left for them? And um, some of my family members are going back to our farms. They're sustaining that. They're living in our ancestral domains. Some of them are living in the city and making sure that their next generations are able to still be deeply rooted with their culture and exposes them over the weekend for life in the farm. But I also have still lots of family members that are really farm-based life like the, 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 the raw organic kind of farm. But when I went to the Philippines in 2019, there's a massive shift of, um, let's say, like uh, natural resource diversity in the communities I've grown. The communities where I've grown, where it's like there was corn, there was diverse crops growing in the farm. Right now it's dominated by pineapples. And guess what? When there's heavy rains coming, flood is the biggest problem. And flooding that also impacts downstream, the city level and so many other people. So uh, people are not able to see that because they see the big profit, but there's the, 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 the neglect to have the balance of both, I think. Uh, is um, There's just too much of, of this now because this is the one that makes you money. Yes, now, but in the long run, no, because your soil are going to be uh, deprived of other nutrients and you will have a more highly um, input intensive farm farming systems that before you don't need those high inputs. So now you have to depend on infusing for synthetic fertilizers for you to be able to grow your crop, which was not the situation 30 years ago. 
because the land that you have is so rich, balanced with its pH, balanced with its acidity, it's able to sustain your crop. This time, no, there's that imbalance even with soil, with respect to the soil. But as I said, I am a Christian, but I also love science and I believe in science. And science, understanding science is very important in, um, in how we live with our environment so that we could appreciate that the things that's going on from one community is not just exclusive to another community because our ecosystem is so much integrated and so much interrelated, macro level and micro level. Uh, so if we don't have that kind of perspective, especially with respect to development, we will always think of always as development as a good thing. But we are not planning or thinking about the risks that is also brought about by this so-called development in our community. Flooding, boy, my gosh, just like landslide, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, rivers that are so wide before, now they're... It's like just a stream. You know what I mean? Yeah, so the, there's like the world is changing. And the world is changing yeah. for sure. And, and like you said, we are living in a world that is un, unbalanced, you know. Uh, but uh, we're going to wrap up here. And I was wondering, you know, if you can give us a tip that we can do from home, you know, because we hear most of uh, people listening to this is in the United States. You now, what can is one thing that we can do to make this world a better place? You know, what is one thing that we can do to bring more balance into the earth? Um, use less of the resources that are not renewable. And then if you can uh, shift to um, renewable resources for, uh, for you to enjoy life, then you could prioritize that. And basic things of conserving, conserving water, conserving uh, energy use inside, um, inside your home. Um, if you're able to have, I hope, you know, the homes that are solar powered, those, those kinds of uh, things, technologies that can be solar powered, technologies that depends on um, uh, renewable energies, I think that would be the way uh, to go in the future because most of the time people are complaining that uh, the, 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 environment, the environmentally friendly things in life are very expensive. You know, because of uh, where we are at, we're still like maybe starting in that. But if, if it can be really the way of life in the future, then that would help a lot uh, uh, for lesser emission of these greenhouse gases in our atmosphere, because that's really how it is. It's the greenhouse gases right now on why we are having this uh, climate change. And so many people don't, don't see it that in our own household, we are loaded with so many things that gives pollution to the air and to the atmosphere, even with the products that we buy and things that we use. Um, me, I... If you could recycle, like if my, the toys for my kids, um, I'm shipping them to the Philippines when they're done. I'm making sure that somebody's able to make use of them and uh, things like that. So if you're able to organization, uh, don't just dump away stuff that can still be use, useful for other people. Donate them to uh, organizations that you find them useful instead of... Um, getting them to the dumpster 
Yeah, know? no, um, I, I totally agree with you. Um, my wife, she had a big collection of Beanie Babies and uh, we don't know what to do with it. And, you know, we put in uh, free on Craigslist. And this couple reached out to us like, hey, you know, we wanted to take that and we're going to take the Philippines to so orphanage. And I was like, cool. Yes. So they came in and they pick it up. And I think it was like a year, year and a half later. They're like, hey, look at the pictures of the kids uh, because they sent it by boat. So it took a long time to, to get there. Uh-huh. And it was it was nice to see uh, the life still on those on those toys, you know, because you could have uh, been gone to uh, waste. Or um, you know, lost, but you know they were able to get uh, joy out of uh, mm-hmm. the continuation of those toys. So yeah, uh, you know, take a look, research, you know, see what organizations are uh, being able to to take things because we, like you said, we have to bring the balance back to the earth. And I want to thank yeah. you so much for taking the time to uh, talk to me. Uh, I'm always so impressed by everything you do. You're very uh, involved in your community, and I feel like. You uh, are an inspiration that more people can aspire to. So thank you. Yeah, well, thank you so much. As I said, like here in the USA, I'm I, I'm really like starting to learn because I'm very much interested with uh, how you can contribute to your community. For me, foremost, number one is I have to know. I have to know and understand the the environment where I am at right now, the dynamics that I have to deal with because the culture here is different pretty much from where I came from. So with, uh, with the role of a sustainability advisory cabinet member for our Cobb County District Commissioner too, I find it a way where I could advocate the things that we have learned from the climate reality because sustainability is one big thing and it is uh, climate change is big part of that sustainability um, uh, f- uh, for, for, for the future generations and I said like is civic engagement is very important that's why it's important for me to learn to know the dynamics, the governance, understand, respect the institutions, how things are working, and how I best can support or advise our Cub County Commissioner. Hopefully that our Cub County later on will uh, will do a sustainability initiative at the county level. And it is an adaptive work. It is not going to be an over- overnight. It does not need, um, it is not uh, a technical fix but it's going to take leadership, leadership among all of the people concerned. And as civic engagement, Frank, things that you're doing right now, this can help so many other people be enlightened that we don't need to wait for other people to do something. In our own way, we can raise really awareness. And that is, uh, we have so many free resources that we can make use and share knowledge and share love that we we care for the world and not just about ourselves <laughs> so thank you so much for this opportunity maraming salamat that is thank you in filipino thank you so much and i'll be seeing you soon okay stay happy and healthy bye-bye bye bye